Well, David asked me to take all the time I could up here. He didn't have much to say today. <laughs> Jody went to a Pepperdine lectureship not long ago, and uh, he heard about the work going on at the Hills. And David is the evangelism minister there. Good morning, everybody. How y'all doing this morning? Hey, I am excited to be here. My name is David Meyer. Uh, I come from the Hills Church in Fort Worth, Texas, and so on behalf of the Hills and, and all of our leadership, uh, we say uh, thank you for joining us in pushing back the gates of hell, and uh, nothing less than that, in proclaiming the gospel and glorifying God, and, and um, I've had a chance to, to meet Jody, uh, oh, about six months ago, he called me up and said I'd gone to Pepperdine, as Gary had said, and you know, we were wanting to try to be a little bit more intentional about how do we share our faith. And I heard Rick talk about some things, Rick Ashley, our senior teaching minister. And he said, you know, might you come down and talk to our staff and, and talk to some of our elders. And I had an opportunity to be able to come do that. And it's been a highlight of, of my year. And I just first off just want to thank Jody for, you know, he's been given the, the stewardship of this pulpit. And for him to share that with me this morning means a lot to me. And I'm very thankful for that. Although it's pretty telling that he asked me to come and he and Tony both are out of town, I guess. So y'all can take that up with them whenever they get back. No, um, I, uh, man, I just, I love Jesus. Uh, I love telling people about him because of how much he loves us. And I want to do that uh, so well this morning and I can't do that of my own power. So will you, uh, will you bow with me, please? Oh, dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. And we thank you for this day. Lord, what a beautiful day it is. But Lord, also, it's not just beautiful, but it also has so much potential because you tell us that you're with us always and wherever we go. And so, Lord, I'm just thankful for that truth and for that promise. And I just pray that your, your spirit would move in the midst of this room and that you would give me the words that you want me to say and that, that ears and eyes and hearts would be open uh, to what you have to say today. May my words be tested uh, against your scripture and that which is in alignment with your will and, and your purpose in our lives, may we hold on to, and uh, Lord, may we get after it in what you've called us to do. Lord, we love you, and we pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. One of the things that's maybe a, a little bit interesting about me, and you can't hold it against me, but I, I was a baseball player at one point, and I was, I was drafted by the New York Yankees, and so I played... I've played some professional baseball, and uh, if you're familiar with Byron Nelson, the, the late great golfer, his widow, Peggy Nelson, goes to our church, and she often reminds me that I used to be a New York Yankee, but then I met Jesus and became a good person, okay? <laughs> so you can't, I, I don't have any control over, over who drafts me, okay? But, uh, but I just, we're going we're gonna to get to a point in today's lesson where we talk about the demoniac. And, and there's some things about my life that I, I can relate to that, not necessarily from the possession perspective, but at least from the perspective that when I was far away from God and I was doing a lot of things that I shouldn't have been doing. And I'm going to ask you this morning, might you also, believe it or not, find some of yourself and some of your story in the story of the demoniac as well. But before we get there, let me, let me set the stage. There was a rabbi by the name of Akiva, and, and he lived the generation after Jesus. And, and Akiva, like all good rabbis, anytime that he had some spare time, his nose was buried in the text, and he was memorizing God's word. 
And one evening as he was traveling along and, and along a route that he thought he knew well enough that he could take his attention off of his direction and he could be buried in the text and he's reading God's word and he's memorizing it where he should have gone right. Instead, he went left and he found himself as it became dark walking up to a Roman fortress, if you will. And as he walked up to that, all of a sudden a booming voice cried out, who are you and what are you doing here? And Akiva was kind of startled by it and didn't expect to hear that. And he kind of answered weakly, I'm sorry? And he said, who are you and what are you doing here? And by this time, Akiva had, had regained his composure and he spoke out in a much more assertive tone and said, how much do they pay you? Well, now it was the Roman soldier's turn to be a little bit unsure, and he kind of reached back, two drachma a day. And then Akiva said, I will pay you double if you will stand outside of my house, and every day that I leave, you ask me those same two questions. Who are you, and what are you doing here? And I'm here today to talk more about what are you doing here, but we can't forget who we are. We can't forget what John 1.12 says, that when you believe in Jesus and you receive what he has given you, what he has done for you, then you become a child of God. And if you're a guest with us this morning and you're still exploring the truths of the Bible and the truths of who God is, you see, we believe that we've all fallen short of a perfect and holy God. And we've made mistakes in our lives and we call them sins. And because of that, we've been separated from him. And it's not just a geographical separation, but it's a relational separation. We, the wages of sin are death. And yet he loved us so much that while we were still sinners, he sent Jesus to die for us so that we could be reconciled back to him. And that we could believe in his son. We could believe that we needed help. And when we turned to him, all of our sins can be forgiven, past, present, and even the ones that are in the future. And that is who we are. He who knew no sin became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. And Pine Tree, I ask you this, if that is who you are, the next question is, what are you doing here? Who are you and what are you doing here? And I think Jesus answers that, and Jesus not only models that, but he answers that in his words. We have, we know that at the, about the age of 30 is whenever he was baptized. We know that he was murdered on a cross at around the age of 33. And we know he had a mission that John 3.16 says, For he so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, so whoever believed in him would have eternal life and wouldn't perish. He had a mission to come and save everyone and save all of creation. And yet, it didn't start till he was 30, and it ended three short years later. And with a mission like that, and I think there's only three years, I don't know about you, but that stresses me out, right? My goodness. And that's why I believe that early on when he says to the, to the first followers, he says, hey, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Follow me, and I'll teach you how to catch people. He's got this mission, and he's starting off, and he's wanting to make sure that we know exactly what this is all about. And then at the end, after he's done all the things that he said that he was going to do, and he, and he died, and he was buried, and he rose again, 
and he's standing there with his disciples, and he's getting ready to leave. And he says, you need to know something. All power in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go, make, baptize, teach, and remember, I'll be with you always. He said in Acts 2.8, he said, or Acts 1.8, power is going to come over you in the form of the Holy Spirit. Why? So that you can be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Let's put that in context. So that you can be my witnesses in Longview, in Texas, in Louisiana or Arkansas. That's a good Samarian, right? All over the world. That's what he's calling us to do. And then he said things along the way, like, I, didn't, I came to seek and save the lost. I didn't come for the healthy, but that I came for the sick. And I love that you guys have been on a journey where you are being more intentional about those that are around you that don't know who Jesus is. And you're asking the question, who's your one? And I see a board that's out in the hallway, and, there, and there's names that are, that are up there, and there's three cards that have already been turned around because now they're covered in the blood of Jesus. And he's got more of that that he wants you to do. You know, you are an answer to Jesus' prayer. He said, pray to the Lord of the harvest, for the workers are few, but the harvest is great. Pray that he'll send more. Did you ever notice that he didn't say, pray to the Lord of the seed? He didn't say, pray to the Lord of the plow. But he said, pray to the Lord of the harvest, because it's a guarantee. The Lord wants you to be involved in the things that he's doing and the things that he is guaranteeing. And the harvest of souls is something that he's guaranteeing. And he wants to use you and he wants to use me in the process of doing that. And it is an incredible honor. And so this morning, when we talk about this idea of one or, or who's your one, you know, we read that scripture earlier from Luke 15. If you've got 100 sheep and one of them's lost, you go and you search for how long? Until you find it. Until you find it. So how did Jesus model that? Well, I'm going to turn to Mark. I'm going to be in Mark 5, but I want to set it up for the end of Mark 4. So Mark 4, verse 35 says, As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, Let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. But soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat. And it began to fill with water. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. That cracks me up. The disciples woke him up shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we are going to drown? When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Silence, be still. Suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. Then he asked them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? The disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man? They asked each other. Even the wind and waves obey him. The reason that I want to set this up is because as, as, as you guys have already started on a journey, and hopefully today I'm, I'm, I'm a catalyst in that journey that you're on, don't be surprised if right off the bat, you encounter winds and waves. 
Just because you've heard what the Lord wants you to do, just because you've taken those steps in obedience, that doesn't mean that it's going to be smooth sailing always. Sometimes there's going to be winds and waves, and yet we think about, we want to share with that, with that family member, we want to share with that, that close friend, we want to share with that, that co-worker, and all of a sudden the relationship starts to get a little bit tumultuous, and it gets to get a little bit choppy, and we start to go, oh, well, maybe that's not what God wanted, and so we start to back away. And that's not what the scripture shows us. There are times, even in your obedience, even when you agree to step in the boat, even when you agree to go where God has called you to go, it's still going to be difficult. But in those moments, you turn to him and say, Lord, I need your help. Would you please help this relationship? Would you please give me the words? Would you please help me in this, in this moment where I have maybe offended, where I can be quick to apologize? Just because it gets rough doesn't mean that we should back away. But when it gets rough, we need to be reminded of whose power that we're walking in, and it's never our own. It's never our own. So that takes us to Mark 5, 1 through 20. It's a long piece of text, but I want to read all the way through it first so that you've got a feel for it, and then I'm going to go back and pick it apart a little bit, all right? Mark 5, verse 1. So they arrived at the other side of the lake in the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out from a cemetery to meet him. Not only did we have a storm that we just got calm, but now we get to where we're going and I've got some demon-possessed dude running after me. He's like, Jesus, what are you doing? You keep getting me in trouble. This man lived among the burial caves and could no longer be restrained, even with a chain. Whenever he was put into chains and shackles, as he often was, he snapped the chains from his wrists and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. I don't know if that's going to prove to be true or not. Day and night he wandered among the burial caves and in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. When Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him, ran to meet him, and bowed low before him. With a shriek, he screamed, why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already said to the spirit, come out of the man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus demanded, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, because there are many of us inside this man. Then the evil spirits begged him again and again not to send them to some distant place. There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby. Send us into those pigs, the spirits, the spirits begged. Let us enter them. So Jesus gave them permission. The evil spirits came out of the man and entered the pigs. And the entire herd of about 2,000 pigs plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned in the water. A less mature speaker might say something about all that bacon that got ruined there, but I would never do that, okay? The herdsmen fled to the nearby town and the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. Do you notice that? Spreading the news as they ran. People rushed out to see what had happened. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus and they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. He was sitting there fully clothed and perfectly sane. They said fully clothed because there's other accounts in the Bible that not only was he howling and screeching and cutting himself, but he didn't have any clothes on. He was running around naked, okay? But here he is fully clothed. And they were all afraid. 
Then those who had seen what happened told the others about the demon-possessed man and the pig, and the crowd began pleading with Jesus to go away and leave them alone. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. But Jesus said, no, go home to your family and tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. So the man started off to visit the ten towns, also known as the Decapolis, of that region and began to proclaim the great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed at what he told him, at what he told them. Jesus gets in a boat with his closest followers, goes across a lake, encounters a singular man, at least in the account of the story here, it's one man, meets him, delivers him, changes him, makes him new, gets back in the boat, and leaves. Did it for one person. Did it for one individual. Who is God asking you to go to? What lake is he asking you to cross? Maybe that lake is your side yard on the way to your neighbor. Maybe it's the street that you live on and it's the neighbor that lives across the street from you. Maybe it's that coworker that's down the hallway and he's asking you just to walk across the hall and go and talk to that individual. Maybe it's a classmate. Maybe it's a family member that You've been estranged for I don't know how long, and he's asking you to go halfway across the country. Wherever it is that he's asking you to go, and wherever it is that he's asking you to come from, I want you to know that however long that journey is, if there is another individual, if there is a creation of God that was made in his image on the other side, I want you to know that it is worth that journey. And it will always be worth that journey. There were a group of you that got back from Honduras last night. I know you went and did some things from a medical perspective. And you went down there, but you also had the opportunity to tell them who Jesus is and what he's done for you. Would you be willing to go always, regardless of how short or regardless of how long that journey is? I want to point something out to you. So the disciples, whenever they, uh, when they were in the boat and they saw Jesus' power, he, he stilled the waves, stilled the storm and calmed the waves. What was their reaction? It says the disciples were absolutely terrified. Did you notice that in the midst of this story, where they are in their journey with Jesus, they don't know who he is yet. They may, they may know his name they may know that he's a teacher, but they don't know who he is yet. They don't know that he's the son of God because they ask the question in their terror, who is this man? Did you notice that when the herdsmen saw the power of Jesus and saw these demons that were cast out of this singular man into this herd of 2,000 pigs and the pigs went for a swim, the herdsmen fled to the nearby town. They fled because they were scared, because they saw the power of Jesus. They didn't know who he was, and in that, it caused them to run. Did you notice that a crowd from the village soon gathered around Jesus, and they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. He was sitting there fully clothed and perfectly sane, and they were all afraid. 
There's this guy that's been living in the cemetery for however long, howling and screeching. He's running around without any clothes. Can you imagine how many times they told their children, don't go to the cemetery, don't go around there. At night, they can hear this howling that's going on, and all of a sudden, this individual that has held this village captive to some degree because they keep trying to put him in chains and shackles, and yet he can't be held captive. And when they're finally delivered of that, their response is, they were afraid. They were afraid. Pine Tree, when you go out and you're talking to people about Jesus and you're trying to help them see who he is, and you're talking to them about the power that he has and all that he can do in your life, do not be surprised and do not be disappointed if people at first are afraid of what you're talking about. If people at first don't know what to do with what it is that you're sharing, if at first they run from you, if at first there's a little bit of distance that starts to happen relationally. I can remember as a ball player, and I was living a life before I'd ever surrendered to Jesus, and I was making decisions that I shouldn't be making and living with people that I shouldn't be living with, and yet I knew that I was doing some things wrong, but I was making all of these decisions where I was hurting myself. It necessarily, wasn't necessarily cutting myself with stones, but I was making decisions that I was hurting myself. And I knew that there was a better way, but I wasn't sure how to get there, and I was scared. And in being scared, it kept me away at times. And there's people that you know in your life that are putting needles in their arms, or they're making other decisions, or they're, they're chasing uh, the American dream, or, or whatever these other things are that they're doing, where in the only way that they know how, they're, they're shrieking and they're hurting and they're cutting themselves, and you have an opportunity to be able to speak life into them. You have the opportunity to introduce them to Jesus and who he is, but at times, it's going to be choppy. And at times, they're going to run the other way. But stay the course. Keep pursuing them. You know our God is a God who pursues, right? If you know the story of the prodigal son as he's coming back and he sees him from a, from a long way off, what does he do? It's the father that runs to the son. When the older brother gets mad because of how he's loving on the younger son and he's pouting and he's staying out in the field, it's the father that goes out to the field to talk to him. God is a father who pursues, and the crazy thing is, is there oftentimes in that pursuit, he chooses to use you. Will you be available to go? So if all these people are scared of Jesus and scared of what he's doing, how in the world did this demoniac ever come to know who Jesus was? Here's the crazy thing. He comes to shore. It says, when Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him, ran to meet him, and bowed low before him. That word bowed. If you go back to the original language in the Greek, it's proskuneo. Proskuneo. It means it is a worshipful position that you take. You prostrate yourself on the ground. Not prostate, gentlemen, but prostrate yourself on the ground. Face low to the ground. It is a very reverent and worshipful position. Demons do not worship 
Jesus. That's why they're demons. This isn't the demons knowing that Jesus has all of this authority and they've run to him and they've bowed down to him in a worshipful position, but this is a man who is fighting for his life and even in the midst of whatever it was that led to him being possessed, he is still fighting for who he is. He is still fighting for the fact that he is an image bearer of God and we see that he runs to Jesus. Why is it that he runs to Jesus and everybody else is running away? The reason he's running to him is because he's the only one who knows who Jesus is. And the only reason that he knows who Jesus is is because it's the very demons who have told him. Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? This is the demon speaking. Son of the most high God, in the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. In the midst of all that's going on, in the midst of the battle that's going on in in this man, all of a sudden he hears, this is the son of God. And in that hearing, he runs to him. He doesn't run away. Because he's already seen the power of the other side, the other side that's been living in him for however long, and he runs to Jesus. And Jesus moves. Remember, he had three years, right, for his mission. There's this scene that we have in the Bible where, you know, all right, so how well is this going? And Jesus sits his disciples down. There's 12 of them, and he says, all right, fellas, What's the word on the street? What's the question that he asked? Who do people say that I am? And they start going, oh, 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 you're, you're, you're Elijah. They, they think you're Jeremiah. Uh, they definitely think you're a prophet. Uh, there's some dude that thinks you're John the Baptist. That's kind of weird since he's the guy who baptized you. I don't know why he thinks that, right? And Jesus also, it's almost like he calls a timeout. And he says, all right, that's the word on the street. What about you guys? You 12 that have been following me closer than anybody. Who do you say that I am? And Peter stands up. And Peter says, you're the Christ, you're the son of God. And he says, that's right, Peter. And he goes, it's on the, and he goes it wasn't flesh and blood that revealed that to you, but it was my father in heaven, right? We just heard the flesh and blood answers. It was all a less than answer. It wasn't the son of God. Prophet, yes, but not son of God. And it is on this truth, what truth? That I am the Son of God, on this truth that I'm going to build my church. Pine Tree, when you go out into this world, when you go out into this community, when you go out into your neighborhoods and you proclaim not only who Jesus is but what he's done to you, but you teach them that he is the Son of God. And sometimes you do that by your actions and sometimes you do that by your words but it's always a mixture of the two. You know that saying, I'd rather, I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day? It's a catchy phrase, but it's bad theology. We've got to be ready to give an account for the hope that we have in Jesus. When you go out and this is what you're doing, the world will be transformed. This community will be transformed. You're already starting to witness it with the who's, who's your ones and the ones that you have. What happens with this man? This man that runs to him, he gets delivered of these demons. His response is what? As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Not only do I believe who you are, not only have you delivered me, but now I want to go with you and I want to do all the things that you want me to do. I am ready. Send me. Let's go. And what does Jesus say? He says, no. Have you been there? Maybe you wanted to go on the Honduras trip that just got back, and for whatever reason, 
God said no. Maybe there's, there's other things that you thought that this is, where, this is where I need to go, this is where I want to go, this is how God's going to use me, and yet Jesus says no. He's not saying no that he doesn't want to use you, but he's saying no to being used there. Are you going to be humble enough? Are you going to be obedient enough to say, Lord, where is it that you want me to go? Because that's what he did with this man. He said, but Jesus said, no, go home to your family and tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. So the man started off to visit the ten towns of that region and began to proclaim the great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed at what he told them. Thought he was going to go with Jesus. Jesus said, no, I want you to stay here. But not stay here and be idle. But go and tell him all that the Lord has done. Tell him how merciful he was. 20 minutes ago, or however long ago, he wasn't even fully clothed. And now, all of a sudden, he's saying, go. And there wasn't some master of divinity, or there wasn't some, you know, uh, go read the book of John and have it memorized or everything else. He said, no, go and tell them how merciful the Lord is. And tell him all that he's done for you. And there's not a person in this room that can't go and do that today. And yet, the enemy is so interested in lying to you and and chattering so much that he wants you to be so focused on what you don't know. And the amazing thing is, is God wants you to be focused on what you do know. And he's saying, go and do this. So is this strategy effective? If you turn forward to, to Mark 7, verse 31 and 32... So we've gone a few chapters ahead. I'm not exactly sure how much time that is, but there is, there is time that has been passed. Jesus came to that region, performed a miracle. They got scared and said, leave. So he left, but he left one guy behind. We fast forward two chapters. It says, Jesus left Tyre and went up to, Sid- uh, to Sidon before going back to the Sea of Galilee and the region of the Ten Towns, the Copos, the region that he had just left back in chapter 5. He is now returning. Returning to a region that the last time he was there, everybody said, would you please leave? Everybody was scared of him. A deaf man with a speech impediment was brought to him, and the people begged Jesus to lay his hands on the man to heal him. Say, what? The last time he was there and his power was demonstrated, they said, you've got to go. And now all of a sudden he's coming back and there's a deaf guy and people are begging him. Not only they brought him to him, but they are begging him to heal him. Begging him to heal him. He heals him. You fast forward to, to the end of the chapter. Jesus told the crowd not to tell anyone. But the more he told them not to, the more they spread the news. They were completely amazed, and again and again, everything he does is wonderful. What? I thought we were scared of everything that he does. Everything he does is wonderful. He even makes the deaf to hear and gives speech to those who cannot speak. There is something weird that is going on in this region, because the last time that Jesus was here, they were scared of him, and they begged him to leave. And now he's come back, and they're bringing people to him 
that need him. And they think now what he's doing is wonderful. Fast forward even to, to chapter 8 and verse 9. All these people have gathered. Jesus is worried about them. He's saying they need to go. I mean, the, his disciples are saying they need to go. And he's like, no, we need to feed him. And they're like, how are we going to feed him? Verse 9 says, they ate as much as they wanted. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven large baskets of leftover food. There were about 4,000 people in the crowd that day, and Jesus sent them home after they had eaten. That 4,000 number more than likely just depicts the men. If you add the women and children, it's eight to 10,000 people. This is the second miraculous feeding that Jesus has performed in a region where before... When they saw his power, they begged him to leave. And the difference this go around is there was one man who stayed behind and did exactly what Jesus commanded him to do. And would you go and tell people how merciful the Lord is? And would you tell him all that he has done for you? And when Jesus comes back, an entire region has been transformed. To now there's eight to 10,000 people that are coming forward. And want to know more about Jesus. That blows me away. That he took his 12 closest guys to an area. They were scared when they saw his power. There were herdsmen that had been you know, in bondage to some degree about this demoniac. There was a village that, that was in bondage because of this demoniac. They all see his power and they all tell him to leave because they're scared of him. But then the demons are the ones that told the demoniac who Jesus was. And when he stayed, he then began to tell people in that area who Jesus was as well. And it's not lost on me that there were 2,000 demons that were trying to keep one individual from becoming the man that God intended him to be and to fulfill the plans that he had for him long ago. We are all God's masterpiece. We've all been made anew in Christ to do the plans that he planned for us long ago. And it took 2,000 demons to try to keep that one man down. Jesus comes and he frees him. And now all of a sudden that one man turns and there are eight to 10,000 people that are coming to listen to Jesus. Pine Tree, there are hundreds of you in this room today, and if this mission became a part of who you are and in your heart, what might happen to Longview, Texas? What might happen to the great state of Texas? What might happen to Arkansas and Louisiana and some of our other neighbors? What might happen throughout this entire country? What might happen throughout this entire world? And all that he's asking you to do, maybe not all that he's asking you to do, but where at least he is starting, asking you to start is, would you be bold enough to go and tell people how merciful the Lord is and all the great things that he has done for you? Would you be willing to do that? And in the midst of doing that, not only will your family in your community, in your state, in your country, in your world be will be transformed. But so will you. And it just blows me away that he would want to use us. But he does. I've got a 10-year-old little girl. She loves pancakes, okay? 
That means I've made a lot of pancakes in my day. I know the recipe by heart now. I know that I'm supposed to put the dry ingredients in the bowl first, and then I add the wet ingredients, and that's going to make them not very lumpy. And I know what pan I'm going to use. I know the, the setting on the stovetop of where that's going to be set so that they're brown just right, but they don't move in to burn. She likes them a little bit underdone. She likes them a little gooey. I think that's gross, but that's what she likes, right? That's how I make them for her. I know how to make them. I know how to make them great for her. But you know what? Sometimes she says, hey, Daddy, I want to help you. And I'm like, oh, come on, baby. I would love for you to help me. And when she helps me, some of the flour doesn't make it in the bowl. I'm lucky if it's only on the countertop, but it usually ends up on me. For whatever reason, pouring the milk into the bowl, that's a little bit of a challenge. It's going to splash. It's going to get on. Sometimes the ingredients don't go in in the right order. Sometimes the pan gets a little bit off center or we don't have quite the right setting or whatever it is. But I'll be darned if the best pancakes I make are the ones that she's involved with. It takes a little longer. It's a lot messier. Sometimes it's out of order. But it's always the best fruit. Always. Your heavenly father knows how to save people knows how to make them new. But he wants to use you. Sorry. But he wants to use you. And it's going to get out of order sometimes. It's going to get a little messy sometimes. It's going to take a little longer sometimes. Remember, it's a process. But would you be willing to say, here I am, Lord. Would you send me? Pray with me, please. Oh, dear Heavenly Father. Lord, thank you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for not just sending him across a lake, but sending him here. Thank you for sending him to a cross. Thank you that he hung in my place. And because of him, I can be seen as righteous. Because it's not that he just took my sins away, but that it's also that he gave me his righteousness so that when you see me, you see your perfect son. Lord, that's worth sharing. Lord, I, I eat a good burger somewhere and I'm going to tell my friends about it. I see a good movie or read a good book, I'm going to tell my friends about it. Lord, may I have that same ease and that same desire and that same passion to tell them about you and tell them about your gift of grace. And Lord, I pray that over Pine Tree Church of Christ, Lord. May this be a church that is known for sharing their faith and telling people how merciful you are, telling people all that you've done. Lord, may this be a church that each and every week when services are dismissed and all throughout the week, that literally the gates of hell shudder and Satan shudders because these folks are being released again into your world to make a difference for eternity. May that be part of the legacy of Pine Tree Church of Christ. 
May they remember that they've been made. May they remember that they've matured. And may they remember that that launches them into being multipliers. Lord, please move in this place. And may the world never be the same because of it. We love you. And we pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. I'm going to ask you all to stand, if you would, please. In just a moment, we're going to sing a couple of songs, but we've got some shepherds. We'll have one up front. We've got some in the back. If today you've had a burden about who your one is, and yet you've just been reluctant to go, might you ask and seek prayer for boldness in that? Maybe you've seen progress, and you want to go for prayer because you want to, you want to praise God in that. Maybe you don't have your one, and you need help in trying to find out who that individual is. Seek prayer for that. And maybe you're here today, and for the first time, you realize that I can't do this on my own, and I want to run to Jesus, and I want to bow before him. The way that you do that is you come forward for baptism, and you profess not only who he is, but who you want him to be in your life and all that he's done for you, and that is whenever you die to Christ, and you're buried with Christ, and you are raised again into the newness of who he is. So as we sing, would you please come forward?